0: He's been a pastor for really a number of decades in Nebraska. He's just getting ready to move from the state of Nebraska, so this might be the last time we get Rich with us. And so he's going to kick us off and introduce the Book of Mark. So let's greet Pastor Rich. Yeah, thank you. Uh, It's good to be with you, as always. Um, I was here four years ago, and uh, none of you were probably, but it was a highlight of my year at that time, and uh, I'm grateful to be back. I found uh, when I was here four years ago uh, that you are a great audience, and so it's a delight for me to be here. Uh, My job today is to introduce the Gospel of Mark. And uh, so what I'm going to do is actually give you the background material for the book. Now, when, whenever you read a book of the Bible, whenever you study a, a book of the Bible, you want to have a background information so that you have a framework for understanding what you're reading. And the background starts with the audience Excuse me. The author, and then the audience, then the reason the book was written, and then the purpose for which it's written, so that you have uh, an understanding of why the author uh, wrote the book in the first place, and then what he intended in in the audience when they read it. So we're going to cover those things, and we're going to get this framework for the Gospel of Mark, so that as the next teachers come through the course of the year and you work your way through that study, you're going to be able to piece it all together as a cohesive unit. So I need you to turn to two texts to begin with. One of them is Mark 1, the other one is Acts 12. Now, it's really, now I understand you're going to get graded on this, right? So I'm going to tell you right now, you all get an A, right? But I really don't want you taking notes. Over listening. So you're all writing stuff, and I'm grateful for that. But if you can't write and listen at the same time, forget the writing. You get an A, right? And, and, and if your teacher doesn't give you an A, have them call me. So I'd prefer you pay attention than to take notes. Mark 1, Acts 12. That's where you should be. We're going to pray again, and uh, we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to do his teaching ministry among us as we look at this text. Father, we are grateful for this time, as has already been stated. Uh, We recognize that if there's going to be any effective teaching, Holy Spirit, it's going to be be because you're doing your job. So please... Do your job in our minds and hearts. Uh, Give us open ears and use your word to shape us in the image of God's Son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you look in Mark 1, if you look in the first verse... It's unlike many of the books of the Bible. If you were going to say, well, who's the author of the Gospel of Mark? Most books of the Bible are going to start with the author's name first. So it's going to start with Paul, an apostle, or Peter to the 12 tribes. It was customary for the author to give his name first, right? But in the Gospel of Mark, notice this. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God... And Mark does not name himself. So immediately, we know that the Gospel of Mark is anonymous. We we can't say, well, he wrote this. But church tradition tells us that Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark, right? So it's church tradition that we rely upon to say the Gospel of Mark was written by Mark. Now, Mark was a common name. Uh, There were a bunch of different Marks. And we have to say, well, which Mark wrote it? And for that, we have to go to Acts 12. So if you look in Acts 12 and verse 12, here's what it says. When he realized this, this is Peter. We're going to read this story in a minute. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark where many were gathered together and were praying so Peter was in prison as we're going to read he he gets released he goes to the home of Mary the mother of John Mark in Peter's letter first letter in chapter 5 verse 13 he's he, he finishes the book by saying the, the church in Babylon greets you, the church at Rome greets you, along with Mark, my son. So, we know Peter had a relationship with Mark. We knew he knew this guy named John Mark. And church tradition tells us that he's the one that wrote this book. So, uh, 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 It says this, Papias wrote this in about 120 A.D. So it's less than 100 years after Jesus died and 20 years after John the Apostle died. So it's really early in the church age, and so no one questions, most people don't question the fact that uh, John Mark is the author because of what Papias wrote. Here's what he wrote. Mark was the interpreter of Peter and wrote accurately, but not in order, whatever he remembered about the things which were said or done by the Lord. He, Mark, neither heard the Lord nor followed him. But later, as I said, he relied upon Peter, who adapted his teachings to the needs of his hearers without setting forth an orderly account of the Lord's saying, Therefore, Mark did not err in writing various things as he remembered them, for he made it his first priority not to omit or falsify anything which he had heard. So biblically, we know Peter and Mark, John Mark, had a relationship. They were together in Rome, and uh, Papias said, yeah, that's the guy who wrote this gospel. So we pretty much accept that. We have no other we have no reason not to. Now I want you just to take a minute and read with me this story in Acts 12. All right. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. That's one of the apostles. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door uh, and were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Now watch what happens. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And we are amazed. Do you see what just happened? Is this the craziest story in the Bible? We're having a prayer meeting that God would somehow free Peter from Herod's prison. He was bound in chains, guarded with soldiers next to him, and then another uh, two soldiers, and then another two soldiers, then an iron gate. And and a prayer meetings gathered saying, "Lord, please get Peter out of prison." And then Peter shows up at the door and they go, "You're crazy." Keep this story in mind, would you? We're going to come back to it in a minute. But John Mark was at that meeting. And John Mark was sitting there praying, "Lord, get Peter out of prison." Don't let him die like James. And then when the servant girl says he's at the door, John Mark was one of them that said, You're nuts. That's the author. Let's look at the audience for a moment. Again, when you started in the Gospel of Mark, You didn't hear anything about the audience. Usually it's Paul the Apostle to the Galatians, and you get the audience next. You don't get that in the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark, there is no audience. We have to rely on church tradition. Church tradition says this. Clement of Alexandria around 200 A.D. says that Mark was a follower of Peter and wrote in Rome during Peter's lifetime at the request of the Christians there. Now in 1 Peter, we saw that Mark was with Peter in Rome, and Clement says Mark wrote down Peter's words in Rome to Romans. And we believe the audience is Romans. Now why is that important? And I can tell you that it is important. Sometimes we misread the Bible because we think the Bible was written to us. I'm going to shock you with this statement, but it's still true. The Bible was not written to you. It was written to somebody else, and it was written for you. But it was written to somebody else. In this case, it was written to the Romans. And the Romans, that's somebody else, they have a distinct mindset. They have a way of thinking that was particular to them. They, they They had a culture. And Mark was writing this book to that culture. He was not writing it to your culture. So what was the Roman culture like? What was their mindset? How how did they think? Well, to the Romans, a person of authority had status. Someone who had power among men was the one who held the glory and the honor among men. So the higher you rise among men, and the greater authority you have among men, the higher status you end up with. And therefore, people serve you. The, 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 the highest have the most servants. The lowest are the servants. And they don't, servants don't have servants. Servants serve everyone with a higher status. When when Mark wrote the gospel, he was writing to the Roman mind. And the Roman mind said, number one, Romans are at the top of the heap. And then among the Romans, there's people with authority. And they're the highest at the top of the heap, the most significant. So there's another story in the in the book of Acts where, where Paul was preaching to a crowd of Jews and they were listening to him until he said this. He he said, and then finally God sent me to the Gentiles. And uh, as soon as he said that to this group of Jews, they started rioting and they wanted Paul to be killed because uh, the Jews and the Gentiles didn't get along and the Jews, in their mind, were higher. And the Gentiles were excluded, and so the the Roman authorities, the Roman centurion, uh, gathered Paul up, and they were going to flog him. They were going to whip him. And Paul said, "Isn't it wrong to rip to, to flog a Roman before a trial and finding him guilty?" And immediately the Roman centurion, uh, high up in the Roman army, a commander of a hundred, immediately he knew he had violated Roman law, and he stopped the proceedings, and he went to the uh, magistrates of the city and said, Wait a minute, this guy's a Roman citizen. And the, Roman, the magistrate said, Oh no, we're in trouble now. Because we laid our hands on a Roman. And a Roman is a man of status. See, in their mind, status was everything. Authority, power, glory, and honor among men. Now let's think back to the first story we read in Acts. John Mark is in this group of people praying that, that God would somehow get Peter out of prison. But they really didn't believe even God could get him out of prison because he was imprisoned by Rome. Roman authority had put him in prison. They had just killed James. Certainly they're, they're going to kill Peter too. And, and we should pray about it, but really... There's no authority higher than Rome. And then there was a knock on the door. And the servant girl goes in and says, Peter's here. And they said, You're crazy. Rome is the highest authority. But there is an authority higher than God, isn't there? Excuse me, higher than Rome. And he proved it when Peter knocked on the door. And John Mark was impressed by that God. And I'd like to suggest to you that one of the things that probably never left Mark's mind was there's a higher authority than the Roman authority. And when I write my gospel, I'm writing to that mindset. All right, that's your author, and that's your audience. Let's talk now about the reason for writing, and I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, and flip over to that section. And the reason for writing says this in verse one the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So when we use the word gospel, we use it as a technical term. And to us, and almost every time it gets used in our culture, gospel means one thing and one thing only. And the gospel is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, and it was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel, right? And if we use the term gospel, that's what we mean, and that's what you understand, and it never gets used outside of that framework. But in the first century, that's not the case. In the first century, everybody had a gospel. So all the politicians had a gospel. So Herod had a gospel, and Caesar had a gospel, and everybody had a gospel, and it was their, the way they were going to run the country or they were going to be mayor. It was their way of trying to get elected, if you will. So in our, in our culture, it would be President's, President Trump's gospel was make America great again. President Biden's gospel is build back better. And those phrases are their gospel and they have these different things attached to it. Well, Jesus too had a gospel. It, it, it was his, his message for the people. That's Mark's reason for writing. Jesus has good news. And the good news of Jesus is that he can cleanse a sinner. The good news of Jesus is that He can wash guilt away. That He can take condemnation and remove it and make you acceptable and right before a holy God. Let me tell you, that is good news for a sinner like me. But I can tell you this, if someone could do that, They've got power beyond any power we have ever seen. If someone can take our sin and condemnation away and make us acceptable to a holy God, that is power beyond imagination. And that's Jesus' message the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. So um, I'd like to suggest to you that when he is writing this statement that says this is good news, there's someone with enough power to make you right with God He's addressing the Roman mind that thought the highest authority was the Roman government. And Mark is going, no, there's someone with authority in realms that Rome cannot touch. So if you remember how the, one of the last stories in the Gospel of Mark, I'm assuming you're familiar a little bit with it, uh the last stories of the Gospel of Mark uh, has Jesus died and then he goes to the tomb. And then he, uh, uh, on the first day of the week, the, the women go to the tomb. It's Mark sixteen eight. When If you look in your Bibles, there's going to be verses 9 through 16. Uh, but we know those have been added later by a scribe that said, yeah, this book can't end that way. We have to add these verses on to the end because that's a terrible ending. So what it said is the women went to the tomb, they found the tomb empty, and the women were terrified. That was the end of the book. And you go, it can't end that way. You can't have these people just terrified. Why did Mark end his book that way? Why did he end his gospel that way? Well, I'd like to suggest to you it's because of this. Who in the round world has the authority to conquer the grave? Who in the round world has the authority to, to conquer death? If someone has the authority and the power to actually transform the world so that we come alive from the dead, that's an authority beyond the wildest imagination. And before that authority, you better be terrified. That is unlike any authority you've ever imagined. And Mark is writing to the Roman mind that says, oh no, real significance is authority in the world of men. And he wants to write in such a way that says, oh no, there is an authority beyond anything else. And you ought to be really terrified of that power. So you better listen to the gospel. That's his reason for writing. Now I'm going to move the, to the purpose. And this is probably the most significant thing that uh, I'm going I'm to uh, put on you today. Um, so I'd like you back in, in Mark 1, and I want to walk with you through this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So what's his purpose for writing? His purpose for writing is to get you to see that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But when he used the word Jesus Christ, he wasn't meaning his last, first and last name. So we all know that Jesus' last name wasn't Christ, Right? Jesus was his name. Christ is his mission. It's an assignment from God. It's Messiah. It means that he's the one who who, who was promised in the Old Testament to come and bring salvation to the whole world. He's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In Romans 15... The Roman centurion at the, overseeing the crucifixion of Jesus watches the events of the crucifixion of Jesus and out of the Roman centurion's mouth comes the statement that says, truly, this man is the Son of God. But in the Roman mind, that was backwards. That was upside down. The Son of God doesn't get crucified. Rome, uh, uh, people with authority, people with glory don't hang on crosses. They don't get whipped. They don't get crowns of thorns slapped on their heads by a bunch of lowly soldiers. And yet out of the Roman centurion's mouth comes the statement that John Mark opens his Gospel with. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who's going to die on the cross. The Son of God. And in the Roman mind, those two things don't fit together. And they should shock you when you try to put them together. Because the Son of God died on a cross. He laid aside His glory. And He became a man. And He humbled Himself and became a servant. Even to the point of death. And that is a shocking story. And if we didn't know the God of the Bible and if we didn't know Jesus, we would say those two things don't belong together. But we know God and we know Jesus. And Mark opens his gospel by saying, I want to tell you about these two things that belong together in one person. the greatest authority, the most significant of all, the Son of God, is the Christ. The one with the highest authority is the servant Savior. And he's turning the Roman worldview on its head. He's turning it upside down. He does that in the first chapter. I'm going to walk you through this rather quickly because I'm I'm running out of time, so please stay with me. I'm in verse 2. As is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will repair your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight in Isaiah it was prophesied that when the savior came when the servant of God came he would have a forerunner to have someone go before him and 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 make the way straight so you, do you know that when your politicians come and visit Nebraska long before they ever get here there's this there's this team of people that come and they're forerunners they prepare the way for the coming of the president or vice president or whoever only big shots have forerunners only important people have forerunners so when I before I got up to speak today Gordon came up and said I want to introduce to you uh, Rich Peterson but no one did that for him because in this setting I'm the important one Jesus had a forerunner. Now look. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's John the Baptist. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. That doesn't fit, does it? The forerunner to Jesus Christ was a socially unfit man. He wore camel's hair clothing and ate locusts and wild honey. And you go, that doesn't fit. That's right, it doesn't fit. But this guy is serving someone with authority who's a servant. And that doesn't fit either. All right. Then he preached saying, here's what John the Baptist said, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. You see how the book opens? We're putting together in this one man, this grand authority is the Son of God, who's also the servant Savior. And his forerunner, he's a great guy. So he has a forerunner, and the forerunner says, this guy, I'm not even worthy to take his shoes off. That's how big that guy is. So on the one hand, you have this guy with authority and power and might and status and significance among men. But he doesn't act that way. Notice how how he's described in verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Look in verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue, and, was, and, and uh, uh, he taught. Verse 29, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Look in verse 35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, So on the one hand, Jesus gets introduced as this, this great guy And he is. He's the Son of God. But his actions are the actions of a servant. He's immediately doing things. People of authority aren't bound by a clock. They have servants doing all that other stuff. They don't rise up early in the morning. They have servants getting up and making breakfast so that when they can get up at their leisure, they can have something to eat at their leisure. They don't act like this. But Jesus is the servant Savior, giving His life for your sin. But He's the Son of God, who laid aside His glory and became a man. And after he did that, Philippians 1 says, and God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It doesn't fit in a worldly mind. It's backwards to the values of 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 humans. It's upside down to a humanistic worldview. In our worldview, if you just have authority, the last thing you are is a servant. But not with our God. Because in His economy, the greatest among us is the servant of all. The first will be last, and the last first. And Jesus says, I came to serve, not to be served. And I came to give my life as a ransom for many. I'd like to suggest to you that if you listen to the Gospel of Mark as it's being taught to you throughout the course of this year, you are going to find Jesus, the Son of God, with authority. But acting like a, a servant acting humbly. And if you listen, your life will be changed. You will have a freshened divine view of what it means to be significant. And what it means to be significant is not having the high status among men, but it's walking in the model of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And God will exalt you. What are you going to learn as you study your way through the Gospel of Mark? Everything this world tells you about privilege and authority and status is upside down and wrong. It's demonic. It's worldly. But divine wisdom comes at life completely differently. And if you listen, you will learn to come at life through the divine mind and not the mindset of America. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Mark. We pray that you would take this book and impress it upon us. Help us to see Jesus rightly. Help us to see our lives rightly. And being found as human, have us humble ourselves and become servants in the mold of our Savior Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen excellent thank you Pastor Rich we appreciate you uh, bringing the word to us this morning you guys don't pack up yet hold on a